<laughs> yeah, all my life, he's been faithful, that's for sure. Look, I've even got a smiley face on the back of my preach notes now. <laughs> Thanks to those two. <laughs> Good to see you. Great to be with you. Uh, I was listening to uh, some old recordings from way back in 2003. Whoa, <laughs> so long ago. And uh, they said uh, one of the things the preacher said in his notes was uh, once he had a conversation with uh, someone in Africa who said, um, once I had a pastor come to me and say, when should we not raise the dead? And the context is the young preachers among them had been going around to people uh, praying for them to be raised from the dead. And they were, but these people were so old, they didn't want to come back from the dead. And so the context was hilarious because this happens. People get raised from the dead. We, we, think, we don't think it's happening here. We don't think it's real. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe we don't have faith for it, but I just want you to remember that, that somewhere in the world, there are people like us, followers of Jesus, who are going, when shouldn't we raise the dead? Let's think about that as a pastoral issue. So anyway, there we go. Um, (laughs) We're taking a little break uh, this morning from our series. I hope you are enjoying Transformed Life. Ah, good, because I am. I'm enjoying reading it. It builds me up every day. And uh, we're just going to take one break. It is half term. We're we're taking a step away. We're going to dip into just a one-off in Hebrews today, all about faith and exercising faith muscles. And uh, I was just going through Hebrews in my daily reading, and the passage came out at me, and um, it was quite a long passage to start with, but I've trimmed down um, because I want to bring you this this first part that I just believe is really encouraging. It's going to inspire you, I hope, in faith. And uh, just before we go into it, I'm going to pray. (laughs) Father, I thank you that you have always been faithful to us. You are the wondrous, mighty God. We praise you for your son, Jesus, who died and rose from the dead. We praise you for the Holy Spirit by which we pray, by which we cry out, by which we see wonderful things done. We pray, be with us now. Fill us right now afresh to hear what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever we are getting our Bible out, and particularly as a one-off like this, it's so important to have the context Um, because as Ashley tells me, if you take away the text from context, you just get a con. So uh, I remembered that from Impact Days. And ultimately, we want to know what's going on in these books of the Bible. We want to know what Hebrews is all about. So here goes. It's in the New Testament. You'll find it just before James, um, oh, sorry, just after James. And it's a letter with an unknown author. He's writing to uh, Christians, but no one can actually say who wrote it. And we have some indicators, some ideas. There's commentators and uh, theologians who say this is who we think wrote it, but we can't say for sure. It's written some, in some of the best Greek. Uh, there is some close Greek that's closer to classical Greek, uh, which you'd be able to read, Becky. And uh, it, it's really top-notch Greek in there as well. And it's written, it's directed at Christians who have a Jewish heritage. Many people agree on this, that It's being written to those who know the Old Testament inside out. They're not Gentiles like myself, people who who aren't Jewish, who haven't come from that heritage. It's the people who have followed the old ways of the Jewish faith and then have been converted, have then put their faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens in the book of Hebrews is in that first 10 chapters, the Old Testament and the New Testament kind of get unpacked simultaneously. And if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to go and read it today. And the author goes to great lengths in those chapters to say one simple message in those 10. He says, Jesus is better. And he's trying to explain that Jesus is better, first of all, than angels, than angelic messengers and their message. 
Because Jesus has come, he's the Messiah, and he brings the message of the gospel. That's better. Then he compares Moses and the tabernacle to Jesus and original creation. Then Israel's Aaronic priests uh, in, Le- in Leviticus to Jesus and the, uh, the order of Melchizedek. You might remember we talked about him, uh, a, a wonderful priest king from Genesis 14, who's very mysterious but comes in kind of ethereally and, uh, and goes out again in that same chapter. But he says Jesus is better than even him. He's, he's the wondrous priest king. And then he goes on to say, and Jesus is even better than all the sacrifices, blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices that were done daily and yearly in the temple. And uh, he's, he's saying Jesus has come now. Jesus has come, guys. He is the ultimate sacrifice for sin because we know sins can't be washed away um, by the blood of goats and bulls. Jesus is perfect blood, which is why if you're not a Christian and you listen to something like this, you think, why do they talk about blood all the time? We haven't got all the time to unpack all of that. But it's significant because Jesus' sacrificial blood on the cross was perfect and so was able to wash away, wipe away the sins of the world. And so after those 10 chapters, you get into these last three where he goes on uh, to exhort uh, his readers to faith. And uh, he compels them. He compels them to see that Jesus is better and to go on in faith in him. And the question is, well, why does he do this? Well, there's been some theories. Why was this letter written? Well, it's because the Christians reading it faced persecution. They faced violence. They faced destruction of property. They faced uh, people coming after them. However, it's believed that in the context therein, the Jewish uh, people were not facing persecution at that time. And so the theory goes a bit like this, that this letter perhaps was sent to somewhere like Rome, where Christians were being persecuted, perhaps by Emperor Nero, and actually Jews weren't. And so the temptation for the Jews who'd become Christians was to go back to the synagogue, their temple, and as a result, they would have to renounce their faith in Jesus. And the author's saying, don't do that. Don't go back. Go on in faith. And that's really the message that I want to bring to you today is don't go back, go on in faith. And so we're just going to look at a short passage uh, from chapter 10. And uh, I've, been, I've been allowed to use uh, her, her family name, Mala. Would you come and speak? I did ask. I said, Christian, I really want to say her name right. He said, say Mala. So I did. So Mala's going to come and read the passage. Christian, I've got it here. If, if you want to read it from here, you can. Uh, okay, Mala. Let's give Mala a round of applause. She's going to come and read it for me. Get you a microphone. Do, do, do. Hopefully we can record on this microphone as well, Ashley. That'd be great. Here we go. Okay. You gonna hold it? Great. Go for it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilt, from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another and towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Amen. Well done. Fantastic. Thank you, Mala. So good. So good to hear you. Reading. Really, really well done. Make sure you go and encourage Mala after. Well done. So that's our passage. And uh, we're going to be encouraged, I'm sure, by the end of this. And uh, we're going to start. We've just, we just got a couple of headings, three headings, in fact. And the first one is this, since we have. And I want us to dwell just for a little bit longer, as we have been this morning. And again, it's comforting to any preacher when God's themes already come through before you get to speaking. But we're going to reflect just briefly on this since we have statement. And so Place yourself in the shoes of the original recipient, if you will. You've been told for 10 chapters that Jesus is better, and now he says, therefore, ergo, therefore, here's what we have because Jesus is better. He says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a, living, a new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And that most holy place for the Jewish readers was in the temple. It was the very place where historically God's presence had come and been manifest. And the high priest would have entered but once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer animal blood sacrifices for the sins of himself and the people, the unintentional ones included. It's a very special place. He says, look, you get to be in God's presence. And if you want to see diagrams of the temple, incidentally, I love a diagram. Use the ESV online, because you can get those and have a look at those and, uh, and understand this in greater measure. And so now he says, you can go into that really holy place. You can be present with God by the Spirit, no matter where you are now. By the Spirit, you can be in God's presence, thanks to the blood of Jesus. It's, it's described here as a new and living way, because Jesus has made a new way, and he is living God himself is living as those in Christ are also living. And he refers to being opened through the curtain. And some of you might know this already, but there was a huge curtain separating a holy, the holy place from the most holy place. And that curtain in the temple when Jesus died on the cross was torn from top to bottom. Why was it torn from top to bottom? Because it was God's work being done. And it was a very thick curtain. No one, it couldn't have just been a freak accident. God tore it. And made this way into the holy place, the barrier between us and Jesus, well, those who put their faith in Jesus and the heavenlies and God's presence has been torn so people can go in. And sometimes we say that in worship. We say, let's press in. Well, we're just saying, let's get closer to God. Let's draw near to him. Because we can, since we have access to him. It's a wonderful truth. And because Jesus, believers in Jesus, have access to heavenly places, we can now say we are in his presence, which is great. In the last verse, 21, he says, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus is this high priest presiding over God's house. Many had come before him in the form of those ironic priests, but he was the ultimate one, the ultimate one who came and died, who became our mediator the ultimate mediator, the ultimate person between us and the Father, 
which is wonderful. We pray by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. We pray through Jesus, and he's still there interceding. I heard it said the other day that Jesus didn't go back to heaven for a rest. He went back to heaven. He ascended again because there was still work to be done. There was still intercession to be done on our behalf, and we have this. this if your faith is in Christ, we have this. We have this wonderful high priest interceding for us. So that's the first heading, since we have. And since we have no need for sacrifices anymore, and since we all have access to God, since Jesus is our great mediator, high priest, we can go forwards in faith. <laughs> Which brings us to our next heading. But before we get to our next heading, I just want you to stop, because sometimes it's helpful get reminded of something like that. And you just need, what it says in the psalm sometimes is, and I hope I'm saying it right, Selah, where you just stop for a second. So there might be a little bit of knocking about, but I'm just going to pause for like 30 seconds. Just reflect on what we have in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, since we have this wonderful situation, this wonderful reality, let us is the next heading. And we'll spend a little bit longer on this one. So the next part of the passage, it's got three let us statements in just three verses. So it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The author encourages us to act faithfully upon the confidence we have in Christ Jesus. He says, draw near to God with a sincere heart. And we're not only invited to, to just get into God's presence, like perhaps with an earthly king or queen, you would come into a throne room and then somewhere in the distance there where they would be and you would, you would bow down and perhaps put your face on the ground. No, no. He says, come near to God, draw near to him, your adopted sons and daughters in Christ, which is why he's saying, no, no, don't, don't go back. Don't go back to, to, to being separated. Get near to God. And it's a wonderful thing to do, to be able to be near a father in such a way. And it's not just something we can do either. This was an interesting comment, an interesting point, just a minor thing. But uh, a guy called Matthew Henry, he's a commentator. He said, this isn't just something you can do. This is something you must do. He says, they must draw near to God. It would be contempt of Christ still to keep at a distance. He says, you must do it. It's something we must do. Draw near with true, as the ESV says, and sincere hearts in the NIV. To come into God's presence with an earnest desire to meet with him. And, and I have to sort of confess at this point, I, I realized when writing this, I couldn't go further without telling you sometimes I'm a bit flippant. Sometimes I don't get come to God in a reverent way or come to him in a way that is sincere. Sometimes I'm a bit casual. And it really held me up. It really made me think, wait, wait, stop. Think, think again as you come to worship. Think again as you come to pray. And it, it really actually helped me this morning. when we, It was a wonderful time of worship, was it not? It really helped me again, even just hanging out with the boys there as well. Just remembering, you know, it's okay. We can... Come near 
and just take a moment to be sincere, a moment to, yeah, step into his presence once again. Rather than just going through the motions, we, we must do this. We must draw near in a sincere way. So it's faith that brings us to this point of confidence where we can draw near. It's also faith that leads to this purified life this, um, through Jesus' work on the cross. It says uh, there that our hearts, where is it? I've lost my place. Hearts being purified by Christ's work on the cross, the sprinkling of our hearts and then the washing of water. And it's, that's one of the reasons we baptize people because their hearts have been cleansed. When they put their faith in Jesus, your heart is cleansed. And then we kind of reflect that in water baptism. When we dunk someone under the water, we had the pleasure of baptizing Nathan just last term, which was great. And then bringing them out, they're cleansed. They come out washed. And we think that's a reference there to him, uh, to that uh, baptism as well that we do. But the bit that caught me in this verse was this. It's something that enables us to be cleansed from a guilty conscience. And I just wondered, has anyone ever thought about that? Because, um, again, I, I thought to myself, well, actually, I think the only time I've heard it referenced to was when I was away traveling, just uh, about 10 years ago. And I was in a surf shop, because uh, I'm cool like that. And uh, I picked up this sticker. Uh, there were loads of them by the till. I picked a sticker up. I thought, oh, that's cool. They must be free. They're by the till. And uh, I got out, and I went, I went back to the hostel with my mate. And I've turned it over, and it was like $1.50, a sticker on the back. And I felt awful, and my mate wouldn't let me forget it. He said, how could you? You're a thief. And the only other thing I'd stolen in my life, knowingly, was a penny sweep from Sainsbury's. So this was like a level up from there. And I felt awful. I felt so guilty. And then he was teasing me for a bit. And then he said, why do you feel guilty? I said, well, you know, I stole I argued with him for a bit. He said, look, Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to feel guilty. And I went, what? And then I argued with him for a bit longer, but then I came to realize, oh, no, he's right. He's right. Because once you're in Christ, now I was in Christ, I'm forgiven. I am redeemed. I am accepted. And we're learning about this in Transformed Life. It's who we are in Christ that is so significant because you're forgiven, redeemed by his grace. And yes, if you, do, if you still go on sinning, because it's, it's a wrestle, isn't it? We still mess up. We still sin. We still steal stickers from surf shops. Not, not everyone. But... We still sin, and yet we have to carry on knowing these truths about us. And we have to sort of wrestle with it sometimes. But actually, the wrestle is over, because once you're in Christ, it's like uh, if you had one circle that was Jesus and one circle that was you. It's not like you put two halves together. It's not like it's this plus this. It's actually both circles get overlaid. It's all you and all Christ as you go on your Christian journey, as you grow in him. Uh, doing it any other way around would be, would be incorrect, I think. It's us and Jesus. And so, yes, yes, you can go to lengths to make amends if you sin. Confess, repent, apologize if that's what's required. Return the sticker. But actually, don't hold on to the guilt because we have been cleansed of a guilty conscience because we're united with Christ. We're in him. And it all starts that thinking, if you struggle with that, it all starts with a, with a repentance moment, a change in your thinking. I think it's metanoia, in a, which means a change in the way you think about yourself. Because if you get tied up in guilt, that can just be awful. And I would just encourage you to, to receive a prayer for that today if, you, if that's something you struggle with. So that's the first one, let us draw near. The next one is this, let us hold unswervingly. So... Um, here we go. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
To hold unswervingly in our walking Christ is to be characterized by consistency, to be fixed on the hope that we have. You might have heard that song, fix your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Well, that is what we're being encouraged to do here. And our hope in him, he is faithful. His character and his purposes are unchanging. We've already been singing about it this morning. And those char- that character and those purposes provide a double guarantee to us for the hope that we have in Jesus. We're to hold to him unswervingly. And uh, I don't know if anyone plays football or is involved in football. Apologies if you are a Liverpool fan for last night. But anyone who's involved in football, anyone who's ever played it or even watched it plays, knows that when a, when a footballer receives a, foot, a pass through the back line, through the defenders, they will run straight to the ball. They won't zigzag their way to the ball just to look cool or anything like that. They will go straight to the ball. They don't veer off. They go straight to it because they want to have the best opportunity to win through and score. And that's unswerving, going straight for it. And Jesus says, hold, let, hold to him consistently, unswervingly. And this is what Transform Life, again, the daily devotional does for me. It helps, helps me something every day comes up on the WhatsApp or it, it, I open the book and it just keeps me in line. It keeps me fixed, unswerving from Jesus. He says, so let us hold unswervingly. And if you have swerved away, if you know actually you, you have, I guess the, take the un away, it would be if you have been swervingly, <laughs> if you have swerved away, you can come back on track. Grace abounds even more than sin and mistakes and errors. It actually abounds even more than weariness or apathy or laziness. If you felt your foot slipping in faith, it's not too late to hold fast once again, and come back to Jesus. The last let us consider, uh, last one is let us consider. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this final encouragement really speaks my language because it's encouraging people, and it's encouraging people to encourage people, which I love. It's Something, again, we do in our assurance of faith. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do love and good deeds towards God, but also towards other people. And James, uh, a writer of a letter just um, before this, he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so our faith without deeds is dead. Our faith, your faith, is not passive. You don't sit there and let faith happen to you. It, it, it leads to active obedience and actively seeking to worship together, actively seeking to share our faith, actively seeking to love people as well, to build them up. And again, life groups are for this. This is why we have them. And uh, we, we go to them to spur each other on in faith. And I can encourage you, if you aren't in a life group, please do get into one. It's what they do at Impact as well. They spur each other on in faith. And that's why the author here exhorts them to keep on meeting. He says, don't stop. Their homes were under threat. Their lives were under threat. Their children, their families, their relatives, their friends were under threat from these people persecuting them, going from house to house. And that's a pretty good reason to stop meeting, I would add. But yet he says, keep meeting. Take the risk because it's worth it. No one can follow Jesus alone. 
Uh, it's a helpful illustration. I've, I always remember it in barbecue season, which we're now coming into. If you've got a pile of embers in your barbecue and you've just had a really nice uh, burger or a vegan burger or whatever, then you just take one of those embers out and put it to the side. And you see how quickly that ember will go cold compared to the embers gathered in the middle. And that's the analogy. While we're together here on a Sunday, while we're together in life group, we are like hot embers, stirred up, keeping each other hot to follow Jesus. But the moment you get taken or you step yourself outside of this context, you can become cold very quickly, which is why he spurs them on. Keep meeting one another. And the word spur in Greek, and I say this hesitantly, but somewhat confidently because I've got it written out phonetically, <laughs> paroxymus, paroxymus, he says in Greek which is like a provocation, an irritation. It's like someone putting their elbow in your ribs, or if you're a horse. I don't imagine you've ever been one. But if you are, you get the spurs dug into the sides of your hips there, and it spurs you on, it makes you go forwards. Well, he's, he's doing that here. He's saying, come on, you need to be known, and you need to know people if you are going to do something that only those in the body of Christ can do, and that is tell your Christian friends with grace, love, and with grace and love, the very truths that they don't want to hear, and and I encourage this uh, among my peers, among my friends. I say, look, tell me things. Tell me when I'm stepping out of line. Tell me when I'm wrong. I need that correction because it's so important. We need people who love us so much that they'll say things like, "Is it really wise to watch 14 hours of Netflix and then four more hours of Disney Plus?" You, you need someone to ask you that. You need someone to say, hey, when did you last get like, a bit of time away, just yourself, to draw near to Jesus? And again, they're saying it in grace and truth. They're not trying to catch you out. It's not a condemnation. It's a loving truth. And this is what we need each other for. Or just someone saying to you, should you really be watching that stuff? Is it healthy? Is it good for you? And the reality is we, we want to cultivate those kind of relationships, those kind of friendships in amongst us. Because the rest of the world, and I'm not saying this about your friends particularly, but the culture of the world would say, well, you just do what you want. You just do what makes you feel happy. It won't, it won't be too much of a challenge to you. It'll be quite an easy thing to hear. They, they won't say to you, hey, are you putting Jesus first? Are you growing into in intimacy with him? They'll say, no, just watch another episode. Just miss another Sunday. They'll say, serve yourself. Don't serve anyone else. And again, we're not like that. We're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And that's why he says, come on, keep meeting together. Keep coming on in faith together. That's why church and life groups are our priority. It's, why, it's where we draw near to God. It's why we hold fast to him. And we meet here on a Sunday, and it, it delights me when people contribute. Like we've seen so many people contributing today. It was so wonderful to have testimonies, to have words coming up and, and participation. And whatever it is, whether it's just a scripture and encouragement, I just want to say again, you can do that like Kevin did at the beginning. And I want to say to anyone under the age of 18, you can also do that. You can get involved and contribute and be part of the family in that way. Because when we move, when we come together like this, we're to be expectant that God will use us. And I, I remember coming to this church 12 years ago or something now, maybe even longer, and, and I never thought I would say anything from the front. I never thought I would play a guitar I never thought I'd sing spontaneously, and I'm not saying you have to do all the things I'm doing. But what I did was, yeah, what I did was, I trusted God and I said, what do you want me to do? Or 
if you want me to do nothing and just sit, I'll just sit. Or I just, I, I asked him and then he, he prompted me. And then there was a moment when I think I was stood on the front row and he said, you're going to sing a song now. And I went, <laughs> I stared like this. He went, you're going to sing a song now. I went, I'm already singing a song. It's on the screen. I'm singing it. And he was like, no, no, I want you to step up and I want you to sing hallelujah from the front. And my right leg was just going like this. I was like, oh, my goodness, I feel like a leaf. I feel like I'm going to fall over. And he said, yeah, I know. But when you step up there, I'm going to move. But I'm not going to make you step. I'm not going to force you to do anything. You take that step, and that's a step of faith. And gosh, I, I can't even remember how it went down, but I just remember the room. Just, just God moved in the room and was given so much glory, all because like a limp lettuce leaf, I stood there and sung a bit out of tune for about 35 seconds, and God did something because I exercised some faith in that way. Which brings me to our last heading, which is this, go on in faith. The author says, don't go back, go on. And uh, uh, does anyone know what a speleologist is? Does anyone know what that is? No? Anyone know? It means it's a potholer. And when I told Kevin the other day, he, he thought I meant someone who like packs stuff into the road to make the potholes go away. It's not one of those people, though they are very important. Um, it's a potholer who's in a cave in the ground and, and goes through holes. And there was a potholer in Yorkshire who sadly passed away in the ground, in the hole that he was in. And when the coroner came back with the report, he said, oh, if only he kept moving. And what it turned out was that the guy had sat down in the hole and hypothermia had set in. He wasn't going back, he wasn't going forward. He'd, he'd got cold and he'd, he'd died in the hole. And if he just tried to keep going forwards uh, or even tried to go backwards, he might have lived. But the point being that actually when he stopped moving, when he, uh, he, he passed away because of hypothermia. And the point was this, that in faith, we're never really meant to be static. <laughs> we're not meant to go back really either. We can only go forward. And I want to encourage you to do that. And so... When you sit down, maybe you'll open Hebrews later tonight. Read, if you read Hebrews 11, you'll see a huge list of people who go on in faith. Noah built an ark. Abraham obeyed. All the people listed there did things in faith. It just encourages me, inspires me to read it. And I encourage you to do the same. And I want you to exercise faith today as well. I, wanna, I said this to the guys earlier, and they kind of half laughed. So I'll see if it works on you. I want to open a, a faith gym. No? Okay. <laughs> let's, not, let's not open one. Um, I would like, but I would, I would like to open a faith gym because faith, like any muscle, is worth, is important to exercise. And it could be something you do perhaps today in the next, or in the next week or in the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to do, is exercise faith. You could speak you could do something as I described earlier on that I did, or it could be something different. It could be something that no one actually sees, but you exercise faith in it. It could be uh, giving randomly to someone from, through prayer and seeking out who he wants you to give, you, give to. It could be stepping out of your comfort zone and sharing with a colleague at work. It could be doing something completely, something you never thought you would do, but doing so after prayer and consideration in faith. Um, I found this fact about the muscle and faith really significant because um, just last week I was away with a friend and we went to like a, a hotel that had a pool and I was swimming up and down in the pool. I hadn't swum for like four or five years and my muscles ached so much and it brought my attention to the fact that I hadn't used them for a really, really long time. 
I mean, I know you can't tell, but the reality is I just haven't swum for that long. But it led me to thinking, gosh, I need to exercise more physically, evidently. But I also uh, then had this parallel with faith. And I thought, God, what is it you want me to do then or, or be like then as a result of faith? And he brought my eye round to the sauna. And some of you might remember a few years ago, I used to swim regularly. And in the sauna, I would witness to other people. And so there I was. I saw the sauna, went, okay. <laughs> went to the sauna, sat in there. I said, God, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to ask people how they are. Radical, I know. And I asked them, how are you? And he went, oh, God, I'm awful. I said, why? Why are you awful, you sinner? No, I didn't. I didn't say that. I said, why are you awful? He said, oh, I owe someone loads of money at work. And it's awful. And it's really hard. And I said, well, do you know what? I'm, I'll tell you the truth. I'm a Christian. And I, don't, I would pray for you for that if you want. I'll pray for you right now. And he went, oh, no, no, no. And then he went, well, actually, as you are a Christian, I'll ask you one question. And he said, why is it that we're not all Jews? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> of the one question you could ask me, that's the one you chose? Anyway, he'd made the connection between Jesus and Christianity. And he's like, but why are we not all Jewish? Anyway, I explained it. I can't explain it to you now. And so I exercised faith in that moment because I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for that person that owes you money to give you the money. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to see him again, but he'll know who it was. I said, if it comes through, you know it's Jesus, and you know you need to go and hear the gospel, as I, I tried to explain to him, or, with, yeah, uh, um, or do something like Alpha. I just said to him, you know, if this comes through, then you need to respond, and he got that. And then I had that really awkward moment that you always get often when you, you witness to someone, and then you see them again later on. And you're like, yeah, you remember what I told you? Yeah, yeah, walk away quickly. Like, you have to, you have to get past that. But he, he left that place having been encouraged, I believe. And he, it was me exercising faith for the first time in a long time. And it is a silly example, but I want us to exercise faith together. And I'm, I'm just looking at the clock today. I don't think we're going to have a time for another song. I think what we're going to do is just wait on God um, for a few moments. And then I'm just going to ask you, if God does prompt you to go up and pray for someone, um, to do that. Uh, because we, again, we are family. There's adults here, there's children here. We're all in together. We, we haven't given up meeting together. And now we need to respond in faith because we are together. And so whatever you do next, it could be a prayer for someone. You could just go <laughs> and give someone a hug or just go and sit next to them. I don't know what God's going to ask you to do, but come before him in these just last couple of minutes and say, God, if there is anything that you want me to do in faith now, let me do it. Help me do it. Tell me what you want me to do. But if there's anything you want me to do in faith in the coming weeks, even if it's just stepping out and having a, a really long, quiet time with him in faith, that's also perf perfectly fine that I encourage you to do that. Yeah. All right. Let's just wait on God for a minute. Let's see what he says. Father God, we do, we come before you again right now. We love you. We, we're so glad we can draw near to you. 
We're doing so this morning just sincerely, truthfully. We want to grow in Christ. We want to go on in faith. So I do ask you, come now by your Holy Spirit. Speak. Speak to each one of us. Show us if there's anything that you'd like us to step out in in faith in these coming days that you would help us do it, God. Give us the courage. Give us the confidence that we need to do something new in faith. I pray that each of us would do something new in faith over this, even over this next week, over this next couple of weeks that's lying ahead. I want to hear people giving you glory, God, for spurring them on in faith, for seeing you come through and be glorified in their lives, Lord. I want to see your name lifted high. I want to see people blessing you and praising you. I do pray for that. Impart faith to us right now, I pray. Impart it, God. You've done everything that needs to be done. (laughs) And now we have it. And so we just receive that faith right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. And uh, I just want to encourage you, go and do whatever God's asked you to do in this moment. We are going to close there. Thanks to Kevin. Thanks to the band as well and, and the guys at the back. And we'll have tea and coffee now after you have gone to move and pray or do whatever you're going to do. So Ashley, I don't know if we can have some background music. That'd be great. But uh, thank you so much. We'll see you. Enjoy the short week, and we'll see you next Sunday.